On today's opportunity to encounter the truth, we have now reached chapter 19 in our series through the book of Deuteronomy. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, as he launches our investigation into what God thinks about crime by reminding us how even Olympic athletes are threatened by the spreading assaults. Remember Nancy Kerrigan? Nancy Kerrigan caught all of our fancy at the Olympics and uh, she's just one of those beautiful women and the grace and the incredible skills she has on the ice and just the image of somebody taking a police club and just hitting those beautiful legs, it just jars us and it hurts us, especially when they're combined with the Olympic skill of a Nancy Kerrigan. But once again, we're faced with the incredible reality of violence, a culture where a tennis player goes out to play tennis and somebody jumps out of the stands and stabs her. And one of the things I want us to think about is that we have a tendency in our culture to try all of these things in the public media. And we all listen to all these little video images and little sound bites. And this morning's text is going to warn us about how dangerous that can be. That this isn't just trying cases like this and trying to find out who's guilty and who's innocent. Trying to get at the truth. It's not just entertainment. It's not just like watching a, a Sherlock Holmes mystery on a Thursday night or something like that. These are real lives, real people, real reputations. It's important for us as God's people to not just be entertained, but to really care and to pray that the Lord will bring about truth. Suddenly, in this big popular milieu of our culture, because of high media profile kinds of violence, we suddenly are aware of there is a crime problem. What we want to talk about today is what does God think about crime? We talked about this earlier in our time together in the book of Deuteronomy when we studied about the commandment, thou shalt not murder. And remember when we studied that, we learned that the command, thou shalt not murder, is not just a generalized command against killing, but it's a very specific command that says that someone with maliciousness, with intent, that with premeditation, someone that plans the destruction of another life, that is a very, very serious offense. And a government is responsible for knowing how to deal with that very serious offense against humanity. And so we open our Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 19, and Moses is a good teacher, and every good teacher knows that if you want your students to remember what you tell them, you've got to repeat it. You introduce a theme, and then you go away from it a little bit and let them think about it, let them assimilate it, then you come back to it later. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, Moses comes back and develops further for the people of Israel the principles that should guide the judicial process of his country and how they should deal with the problem of the violent taking of a life. He begins a passage like this in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 1. When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he has given you, that's the land of Israel, the land that in the north goes up to uh, Mount Hermon, and down the south it goes to the brook of Egypt, which is a small wadi there in the Gaza Strip, it says, when the Lord your God has given you this land and when he has driven the nations out and settled you in their towns and their houses, then I would like you to set out for yourselves three cities 
He's already instructed them. We learn in Deuteronomy chapter 4, he already instructed those that were living on the east side of the Jordan River that they needed to have three cities in Transjordan to be cities of refuge, cities of shelter. Now he's telling those who are going to live on the west side of the Jordan River, they need to do the same thing. I want you to set aside for yourselves three cities centrally located in the land the Lord your God is giving to you to possess. Build roads to them and divide into three parts the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance so that anyone who kills a man, anyone who kills an individual may flee there. What about these cities of refuge? What about the issue of the taking of life? But we're faced in the very beginning of this passage with a question that I'm asked about probably more than any other question as I talk to someone that thinks about the Bible, is concerned about the Bible. They're very concerned about this first verse. The Lord your God drove these nations out and gave you cities that you didn't build, that, you, that weren't yours. And they asked me this question, what about the extermination of the Canaanites? This whole chapter is going to develop further. We're going to find out later on in the chapter that Moses commanded the children of Israel that if there was someone who planned an attack, who sat in ambush on, on, and laid in hiding, and if someone came by, they with intent, with premeditation, with bloody violence, took a life, the Old Testament law said that their life should be taken. And we raise the issue of the death penalty. Now, in modern culture, it's a very complicated debate. And one of the things that we can do, we need to be very careful. You don't just jump from the Mosaic law until modern times. I want you to think with me about how our Heavenly Father thinks about things. And the very first thing that I want to struggle with is it is a problem. What about the extermination of the Canaanites? And we've discussed this with you a little bit before, but it's so important, and I'm sure you'll be asked about it. Let's think together about why did God allow Israel to take the life of these seven nations? The story began 400 years before this time. Abraham was called by God, and he went and lived among these people. The Lord promised him that he would give him the land, but God only gave him a grave plot. Now, what did Abraham do during all those years? It says, there's a phrase in Genesis that says over and over again that Abraham called in the name of the Lord. And the word call that's used there in Hebrew means that he proclaimed in the name of the Lord. It talks about Abraham gathering under large trees in the shade there down by Hebron. And people would come and he would declare to them the message of God. And so Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, proclaimed the true worship of God. There were some Canaanites that responded, like a Melchizedek, who was the king of the city of peace, the city that later became Jerusalem. Melchizedek was a God-fearer. He believed in God. The book of Job, very possibly, was written at this same time, the patriarchal age, and Job, as far as we know, might not have been an Israelite. He possibly was a non-Abrahamic person. But he was a believer. He was a father of Yahweh. So don't think that Abraham was the only person that believed in the true God. From the time of Adam and Eve, there was a seed. There was a godly seed. There was a group of people that responded in faith. And Abraham proclaimed to the Canaanites. Then Isaac proclaimed to the Canaanites. Jacob lived among the Canaanites. 
And then we have the 12 tribes moving down to Egypt. And then God waited. You see, the seeds were planted. People heard the news about the true God. They heard about the promise of the Messiah. According to the book of Genesis, we have that promise that God would send a deliverer. And people could decide whether they would respond. For 400 years, the people didn't respond. In fact, instead, they lived their lives. They got more and more violent. They got more and more immoral. They totally ignored the witness that Abraham gave. And there came a point where the Lord God of the universe says, evil has become so concentrated in this people. The brutal killing of their babies and their idolatrous worship grieves my heart so badly. The evil has become so virulent that it needs to be cut out, like a, like a, like a surgeon would cut out a cancer from a, a, a person that has a malignancy. God is saying, I need to cut out this cancer from the human race. It's very interesting as modern people, everyone talks to me about why would God ever allow the extermination of the Canaanites? But they also, in our modern society, they don't stop and think about what about our troops moving into the country of Germany and by the thousands having to kill people. And as our troops, as our forces moved, trying to converge on the Russians, there were hundreds upon thousands of peoples that lost their lives in World War II. Now, why did that happen? Some of, the, some of our American troops were rushing, trying to get there in time. And as they came into concentration camps, they came into concentration camps where there were piles of body, bodies that had just been abandoned because they couldn't get them into the ovens fast enough. They couldn't gas them fast enough. And our soldiers hurried to get there because there were little tiny kids who were being brutally and sexually assaulted. They were being hurt. They were being murdered. And there's not probably one of you that can't be confronted with what, what the SS troops did, what Hitler did in the design for the extermination of the Jews. There's not one of you in that doesn't have something happen inside that says they have to die. Like when you watch a movie like Schindler's List and you see the commandant of a prison camp just go up to somebody and shoot them right in the head and they're gone. Just haphazardly. He's immoral and he goes down to his front porch and he just starts shooting people. And then you watch at the culmination of the film as they put a rope around his neck and they kick the chair out from underneath him after he's been tried. And something inside of you clicks and says, it has to be paid for. And that's the way it has to be paid for. The Bible, unlike modern society, you all want to pretend about evil. You all want to say that evil is just non-existent. That evil doesn't need to be paid for. That we're all just basically good. Because that's what our modern society wants. It's the popular notion of our age. There really isn't such a thing called evil. There really isn't such a thing as a, as, as a violent, vicious act that deserves punishment, and if the violent act is so serious, it could involve the loss of a life of the person that committed the act. Our society wants to say, no, everything is good, everybody's nice, everything's fine. You know something that, that, that is incredibly powerful to think about along these lines? Like in our own society as a nation, we had to decide to go to war just a few years ago, right in all of your lifetime. 
And our pilots had to fly over a whole army of guys and use modern warfare to stop them. Thousands died, and hardly any of you even think about it. In other words, an American president had to decide Saddam Hussein's madness has got to stop. We cannot have a person sitting in Iran and shooting missiles at Tel Aviv. Just a city that's sitting there with just people just in their beds. We cannot have a madman that just shoots missiles. We can't ignore that. We can't just sit here and say, well, everyone's good. Everyone will be nice. Nobody needs to pay for anything. And here was a nation that was galvanized behind that leader. And there's a great mystery in, in, in the masses of how they follow that kind of leader, but they did. And some of the men right within our church had to go and be involved in that. And thousands died. Why? Because evil is real. The insanity of wickedness is real. And what I want you to say is whether or not you believe in God or not, whether or not you believe what I'm talking about, and one thing that I really want to get across to you, it doesn't really make any difference what this preacher believes. Something that I think that's really interesting is people will get upset with me when I, when I try to explain the truth. I'm in a dialogue with you. I don't think that I have all the wisdom. I don't believe I have all the insights into God's word. But I want you to think about reality. I want you to think about the truth. And one of the incredible things about the Word of God is it deals with the reality of the world that we live in. And God is saying that with the Canaanites, the Lord God of heaven, who wasn't the President of the United States, this was a Lord God of heaven that knew all the alternatives, that knew everything that was involved, that knew what everyone had thought, that knew all the motivations. And the Lord God of heaven is the judge of all the earth, decided... 400 years into the Canaanite history, that's enough. And I want you to realize that's the way things are. That's the way he is. You can't get away from it. And you need to think about it. You don't have some sweet Santa Claus in the sky, some grandfather rocking around in his rocking chair that, that always hands out sugar daddies. He's a righteous, holy, powerful being who knows what's right, he knows the virulence of evil. Now, I'm going to talk to you more, because one of the questions that I raised at this point is, well, well, why is there evil anyway? If he's so good, and if he's so powerful, then why is there even this malicious violence anyway? Why didn't he just make all the good world? We're going to talk about that as we go a little bit further. But I want to begin by challenging you to think about why we have in the Bible this just holy God who at times will order the death penalty. And that's what he did with the Canaanites. It's because in the Bible, unlike modern thinking, there is evil that's very real. And if it's not stopped, then it spreads and even more people are caught up in the web of it. And even more people get hurt. And even more people are destroyed. And so God cuts it off. Now you can get mad at God for that, but I want you, as you're listening to me, I want you to think about what are your alternatives? What are you alternatives? If you say, well, I don't like the fact that that's what, the way God is, then what is your God really like? Because what you're really saying is, I don't like the God that's there. I'm going to be God. And I'm going to think about the way things ought to be. And as I'm talking together, I want you to think about the way things are in the world that you've created. I want you to think about the questions that you raise if there isn't an ultimate God who does right, who's the judge of all the earth, who deals with wickedness. 
Because some of you are mad at him because he's allowed wickedness. And you're mad at him because he's done certain things. And I want you to think very hard about, okay, what are you going to do? If you reject this God that's in the Bible that's really there, then what's your God like? What are you going to do with the reality of evil? You can't just ignore it. In other words, we live in this world where these kind of violent, wicked things happen. It's just the way it is. It's, it, I was born, and as I grew into understanding and consciousness, I began to be aware that I live in a world where terribly violent, wicked, immoral things can happen. And the Bible begins to talk to me about the way God deals with it, the God that's really there. If you want to reject that Bible, you think about the alternatives. What are your answers to what has happened? How do you deal with it? You can't just ignore it. It's the world that we have. And what we have in the Bible is a God. We have a God who doesn't explain to us all the whys and the wherefores of why he's allowed the, the, the dissonance we might call in the universe. In other words, that there's disharmonious chords. And I'm going to talk to you about a worse disharmony than real crimes that we know that someone did something really wicked and therefore we hang him and we know that we have a sense of justice. I'm going to talk to you about today, what about accidents? Where just there's an accident that takes place and somebody gets hurt or somebody gets killed. What about that? Where was God then? Because that's what this chapter goes on and talks to us about. This chapter goes on and talks to us about accidental, the accidental taking of life and then it talks to us about the violent taking of life. And what I want you to think about with me is how the God that's there deals with these kind of problems. Let's look and see what he says, first of all, about this problem which, is, which can just hurt us very deeply. It can absolutely destroy us, this problem of accidental death. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, this is the rule concerning the man who kills another and flees to one of these cities of refuge to save his life. It says, one who kills his neighbor unintentionally without malice of forethought. In other words, here's a person. They weren't angry with this person. They were not upset with them. They had not yelled at him, I could kill you, I hate you. There's no forethought at all. This person is just evidently maybe just working with a fellow associate. And it says in verse 5, For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood. And as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. I remember as a kid making hatchets. Some of you probably did that. We used to, up in the Adirondacks, we'd cut a tree down and we'd split it, put a big rock thing in there, and then we'd tie it. Anybody ever do that? We'd tie it with stuff, you know, and, and one of the bad things about it, and then we'd wet it so it wouldn't get really strong and powerful and it would hold there. But to be honest with you, a lot of my hatchets, I was not so good at it. So I can really identify with this story because there were many hatchets that I swung where the rock went that's what's going on here. In other words, you're just out in the forest, you're cutting wood with somebody, and you're swinging the axe, and suddenly it flies off the handle, hits the guy right in the head, and he's dead. Now, what do you do then? It says under the Old Testament law that you could run to one of these cities. Now, why did you need to run to one of those cities? It tells us. It says in verse 6, otherwise the avenger of blood... You see, this person that you hit in the head has a great big brother that presses 275 pounds and has a fiery temper. And they're a good person. In other words, they don't just blow off at everything. They blow off at things that really count. And you know that when they find out 
that, that his brother was out with you in the forest and you, like an idiot, you know, swung an axe and hit the guy right in the head and killed his brother, this text knows that that big old brother that presses all that weight is going to run after you, is going to grab you by the neck and just strangle the life out of you. And this text knows that that will happen. And what it tells you, it provides. God, God provides a way in the midst of this messy situation to try to bring about some truth, to try to bring about some evaluation, to try to protect those that are innocent. And so it tells us here that the person that was guilty of this accidental crime is able to go and run to one of these cities of refuge. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him, if the distance is too great and kill him, even though he's not deserving of death. Since he did not do this to his neighbor uh, with forethought, he did it without malice or a forethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourselves three cities. And what's going on here? God is very kind. God is very gracious. In old Israel, he provided these three cities that when the accidents of life took place, that the person who inadvertently hurt someone could run to one of these cities. And then the elders of that city would gather together. And I also want to share with you that these cities of refuge were Levitical cities. They were the cities where the word of God was taught, which is very important to the processes of justice. Because justice begins with God and knowing his moral standards and then moving from that. And that's why our society, in many years ago, you used to swear upon the Bible to try to be certain that you would tell the truth. And there was that commitment to a higher law. English common law was built upon that same principle, that there's a God in heaven who has revealed moral standards, and God's word in the Bible is his revelation of that. And that God that, we're, that we love and that we praise is now entering into this situation. I want you to see that the God who's really there cares about our everyday kind of life. He cares about the events that take place in our town. And he cares about the accidents that take place. And what he's trying to do is that he's trying to enter into this situation and he is trying to make sure that, that something even worse doesn't happen. And some of the things that strike me about this is, first of all, I become aware in this passage about the power of rage. Did you hear what I just said about the avenger of blood becoming so angry that he runs after the person who slew his brother in an accident and then he takes his life because he's so angry? Isn't that realistic? When Mary's brother David was killed by a drunk driver, and I've shared this with you before, Mary's brother Frank has told me several times he had a rage inside of him when, he, when that guy came near him and he smelt the alcohol on the guy that killed his brother. Like when Frank turned around and looked at his brother and knew that his 16-year-old brother was dead. And then he got out of the car and the guy that hit him came near him and there was alcohol in his breath. Frank said, I was going to kill him. And Frank's a big, strong guy. He could have done it. And it was only the grace of God that kept Frank from doing that. The Bible's realistic. When your brother's been slain, and that wasn't even an accident. That's the idea of the avenger of blood. And there was someone that made a decision to drink and to get drunk, and they'd done it over and over again. That's not just like being out in the woods and having an accidental thing. 
So the Bible's very realistic about rage. And it says we need to be careful about rage. Anger can explode in a moment, and its effects can alter lifetimes. Dave will be carrying our discussion further on our next broadcast. Some of you have friends who work in the criminal justice and legal systems. Please invite them to listen or share these two programs with them.